Um, so these aren't large print Bibles, but I happen to go to one of my favorite places. Yeah, I can't read that um, without my glasses. I can read, okay, for those of you who are wondering, I can read. Um, but I've got two great ESV Bibles that I would like to give away. One is pink. So are there any guys out there? No. Who knows? Listen, I'm not going to judge you. Do you want one? Seriously? Okay. I'm going to put it, oh, I'm going to deliver them. Who else would like one over in this area? Anybody want a really nice ESV study Bible? I'm going to come back. Two hands pretty close, but I'm going to go here on the end. If you want one, I can get you one, brother. Do you want one? Okay, I'll get you one. There you go, sir. Enjoy that. Um, the, the quiz comes like later in the year. So if I were you, I'd just strongly recommend that if you ever see me, be prepared to answer questions. That's all. Um, but I'll keep it basic. Okay. No, well, hey, if you gave it away, that is awesome. So the uh, second thing I want to just make you guys aware of is we've got this Valentine's thing that's coming up. And my wife and I, you don't want to come up and show them? No, not at all. There is actually, for those that are interested, they are doing like dance lessons on Thursday nights at the White House. And so my wife and I are cutting a rug. I have no idea what that means. I think it means dancing poorly, but uh, we are doing that on Thursday nights and it is a lot of fun. And so if you and your spouse think like learning to dance might be both enjoyable and interesting, quasi-romantic, Imagine just you, your spouse, your pastor, and his wife all dancing together. Like if this, if this is signs of the kingdom that has come to be among us. Uh, it starts at 6.30, right? Is it 6.30? Help me. Thought so. That's, what I, that's when I came last week anyway. 6.30. And would love to. We meet over in the White House, the building over here, and would love for you to be a part of that. Um, the last announcement that I want to make, actually, is in light of one of the songs that we sang today. One of the songs that we sang today talked about the winter rains. This is actually free for you. Whenever I see these things that songwriters write, um, especially in light of today, when you hear the phrase, like, your love is forever um, like the winter rains. How many of you picked up that? How many of you heard that lyric today? Did you pick that up? And you're going, like the winter rains. Yeah, right? We usually don't think of winter rains as a wonderful thing. It's actually surprising. What do you mean winter rains? Um, in the Bible, actually, the winter, there's, there's no rain at all in, 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 the, in the Holy Land from about May to September or October. None at all. So imagine May, nothing, June, July, August, September, hot, nothing. And then you have what are known as the, the later rains. There's actually three different Hebrew words that deal with the rains in Geshem is the, probably the one here that they're referring to, and it is the, the promise of God that the rains will come. And uh, unlike, uh, unlike over here where we live, where the rains just kind of come sporadically, right? I mean, we get more here, but there's no guarantee that we would have or not have. We don't go through long seasons. And like the rains coming, the winter rains or the latter rains, Keshem, it actually is the reminder of God's covenantal faithfulness. Like the winter rains. So it doesn't mean freezing weather. What are we going to do? Should we cancel, you know, school and church? And it's not that kind of winter rain. It literally is describing this long season of drought. And then God comes again to be faithful. And, and that's the winter rains. 
And I I bet you just in light of what we're gonna be dealing with today, Jesus' prerogative to do or to say anything that he wants, where those are the most difficult ideas to hold on to is when you're living in that, say, August, September aspect of your life, right, metaphorically speaking. You know God is faithful, but it's been a long time since the rain. You know God said that he would never forsake you. You know that God said that he would never abandon you, that he would never leave you. But, but listen, it hasn't rained for a long time. And what's interesting, those rains are um, a covenantal reminder that God has not abandoned us. And we don't really have anything like that, right? I mean, I guess, how many of you wake up and the sun comes up? You might go, oh, wow, that's a beautiful sunrise. Or, oh, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. But how many of you go, wow, God is still faithful. Look at that. The sun came up just like he promised. No, most of us are like, oh, the sun's up. I got to go to work, right? It's, it's good to just stop and to reflect on those aspects that happen in the world around us. Israel was very poised and even in them being poised and educated and taught they still neglected it they, they still decided to focus far more on their individual struggles their circumstances than the covenantal promises of God I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will never flood the earth again I will remember my promise to you how critical is it for us as the people of God, to think about that as we deal with life. Because there are different things that are speaking truth into our lives. Circumstances speaking into my life. And man, they just, they seem heavy on me. I'm paying attention um, to what's going on around me and I'm almost like, it's like I can't stop it. My body is responding to the news or to the circumstances that I hear and I, I hear this a lot from people. I just can't help it. It's just how I, how I feel. It's how I respond to it. And I, 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 That's true for all of us, really. It's not like you're different than everybody else. No, we all respond like that. So what do we do in those moments? I would argue that what many of us wrestle with is giving too much power, too much authority to the circumstances of our lives. Almost listening too closely, if if you can do that. I'm, I'm too in tune to what's happening around me. I just can't help but think um, whenever there are these elections that come and go every four years. Um, And I was thinking earlier this week that it really doesn't matter where I live. I'm I'm grateful to live in the state of Oklahoma. I love it here. Love it here. Grateful to live in the state. And it's been fascinating because I have now lived here since 2004. And so I have seen different presidents that respond to different people that are popular within different segments. And it's been kind of uh, interesting to see the sky apparently open up in sunlight and then doom clouds. And I, I, I'm really at the point now where I'm chuckling because I'm not noticing as much as a change as all the doomsdayers like to announce every 10 minutes. I've now seen enough to realize, wow, not that it doesn't matter. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that something matters more. What a great reminder for us. Can you imagine if the church, the people of God, instead of 
paying attention and responding to the power and to the authorities of this world somehow could see through that. Not not because it's fake or not real, but it's temporary. That's the problem. All of these things are temporary. But God's word stands forever. God's promise lasts forever. God's ultimate redemption and restoration of the world lasts forever. And yet, sadly enough, the church doesn't respond like, it, like that. Maybe we're, we're, we're listening to the wrong authority sometimes. And that can be a danger. I, I do believe that there is in the world an authority problem. I don't think it began in the 1960s like a lot of people believe. I don't think it just came about in the 1960s. Interestingly enough, um, for those that have such a short view of history... You need to know that even in terms of what the American um, cultural climate has been like since the 1950s, 1960s, and we like to go back to that time. Fascinatingly enough, I, I, I love to just educate people. The real truth is the seeds for a lot of that were actually planted in the 1700s, in the 1800s. In the very early 1900s, the seeds for what came to, to bear the fruit that was produced and then shared in the 1960s was around for a very, 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 very long time. Making its way in different segments of society. And, and really what the whole issue that came about was, it was literally an authority of, of, or an issue of authority. The idea of a problem with authority, like I said, is not something that was, was new. I, I think when you can go back, I think maybe, maybe, how many of you have heard about the American Revolution? Right? So, that, I mean, that was what? That was an issue of authority. You don't have the right to. Right? How many of you are grateful for the revolution, right? Well, but we had a reason to rebel. Everybody does. The questions become whether or not those reasons are legitimate and true. I just I want to walk through very quickly to where I just see the authority um, issue come to play in the Bible and just notice people's response. It begins in the garden, doesn't it? God gives very simple instructions. And then all of a sudden, someone else enters the equation and they, and they love to say it this way. Did God really say, and they give an alternative way of looking at things. Did God say that you shouldn't? Let me, let, me, let me give you another way of looking at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let me give you a, a different look at its fruit. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve, our, our first parents, have an opportunity to listen to and respond to the authority that was given to them, the words that were given to them, or they can take matters into their own hands. You know what happens. And then from then on, all of their children wrestle with the issue of authority. You see it in the wilderness. The children of Israel being brought out of slavery and now they're free. And this is all done not by their own goodness, not by their own power. This wasn't a really good leader like Moses leading the charge. No, this was God's hand. It's a gift. And God meets them at Mount Sinai in between their slavery and their promised land. And God says, I want to reveal the fullness of who I am. And he reveals the fullness of who he is and says, and I want you to respond to my character and my nature. I want you to know who I am. And he gives us this amazing gift. He gives us these laws. 
don't know how you hear that word, but some of you, when you hear like rules and regulations and laws, some of us bristle, some of us find too much comfort. But the people of Israel said, oh yeah, we can do this, we can do this. It's easy to, in theory, say we can do this, kind of like wedding vows. It's easy to say, in theory, we can do this. It's the worst part of for better or for worse that I don't know if I can do. And in the wilderness, when everything looks good and God is on the mountain, he has our attention, the people of Israel say, and we are ready to respond to your authority. But when the instructions come, I want you to enter into the land. When the instructions come, I want you to. And and God begins to exercise that authority. That's when we begin to kind of play over in our minds. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at the circumstances of my life. I'm looking at what's going on now. And I begin to, the children of Israel, they begin to question what God said and to trust what they were saying and thinking and feeling. And God's words become distant, distant, and their life, reasoning, and circumstances become more real than God, and they become the authority figure. And they act the way that they want to act. So they finally get into the promised land, and you would think, okay, now they're in the promised land. You know they've got to respond faithfully, right? No, actually, this is one of the major um, issues that I see constantly in, in human life, is that it's not just in adversity that you and I wrestle with authority, it's actually sometimes when things are going great. When blessings come and when blessings abound, it's not just the pain of suffering and adversity that makes us deaf to God's authority. Sometimes we are lulled into the sweet comforts of this world. Did God really say? We we begin to believe, actually, that it's not, well, I guess we take for granted that the rains are always going to come. And what really, the real reason for my success is that I know how to farm. Because the rains, I don't know where they come from, but those I'm going to just assume. But my skills as a farmer are amazing. I almost, I I don't need anyone. I can can master this. I now know how the world is going to operate and now I am the one who can control my own destiny. And the children of Israel decide to wander from the one who sends the winter rains. The covenantal faithfulness of God. Adversity makes us deaf. Blessings make us deaf. And it's really interesting that even when they're in exile, that last segment of Israel's history, when God judges them for their faithlessness and he pulls them out of their land, he destroys their temple that they thought would be this refuge He destroys their land and he says, are you going to listen to me now? Can you hear me now, right? Can you hear me now? Without a temple, without a land, can you hear me now? You know what's amazing? The answer continues to be no. The people of God appear to be like a spoiled child who in the moment of punishment are really, really sorry and I promise that I will always try harder. But 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later have completely forgotten their brokenness, their rebellion, and how they got there. 
And even more important than all of that, because still that's just centered on the, on, on the people or on the child, but it is God's ultimate plan that we're looking at today. It's in that context that I want you to think about this statement. Jesus can say and do anything that he wants. Jesus can say and do anything that he wants. And I'm not trying to tell you that because I've got some hellfire and brimstone sermon, which I could easily preach from this text. Cursing a fig tree, cleaning out a temple. I'm not trying to give you this, God can do what he wants, and how dare you challenge him. No, that's not where I'm going with this, although I could go there. I just want you to think about this. Jesus has the authority, has the power, has the prerogative to do and say anything that he wants. And I just want to ask you, how do you you feel about that? I believe that our culture of skepticism, our, our culture of narcissism, our culture just re- that rubs against us that almost no one has that authority. No one, not even God himself. We want to believe that even God himself is bound by something. Like we can't just have God running wild, can we? There's gotta be something that holds all of this in check. And the answer is there is nothing that holds all of this in check but God himself. But I don't want you to just think that Jesus can do anything that he wants. I'm I'm telling you, he can, and he does, and it's good. He can, and he does, and it's right. He can, and he does, and that is actually what brings peace in the midst of our chaos. It is what brings order in the midst of our confusion. The fact that Jesus Christ enters into this very broken world and he is the one who speaks with authority. This is a phrase that happens throughout Matthew's gospel. Jesus comes into situations and he speaks. And he's got no footnotes. He's not quoting another rabbi. He's not quoting some other source greater than himself, but instead Jesus comes and he speaks forgiveness. Your sins are forgiven. How dare he say that? Oh, really? You're wondering whether or not I have the authority to forgive sins. What is, what is easier to say, Jesus says earlier in Matthew's gospel, your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk. And so that you might know, Matthew records, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. And he did. And now everybody's got to deal with this, this authority. Jesus speaks the Sermon on the Mount, and when he is done, it says, and the crowds were amazed, for he spoke as one with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees did. I guess the question that you and I have to wrestle with as we look at these texts today, we have to answer this question, does he speak? No, he does. Jesus speaks authoritatively to us. The question is, do you listen And I mean the the biblical sense of that word, not hear. Well, even the biblical sense of that word, actually. To hear and to listen, literally in the Bible, always means to respond. I would even argue when we say that to one another. Did you hear what I said? Were you listening to what I said? We're not going, did sound waves bounce off your ear? We're actually asking, are you responding? Are are are, Are you somehow calculating and changing the way that you think or the way that you're acting in light of the information that I'm giving you? So Jesus is speaking with authority, and the question is, can we hear him? we got two examples. 
Actually, three examples today. The first one is Jesus walks into his temple and he cleans it out. Great warning to us. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 12. Jesus walks onto center stage, it says, as Matthew records it. And Jesus entered the temple and he drove out. This is important to note. Luke is the only one that modifies this slightly. Luke excludes those who bought. He just talks about those who sold. But Matthew and Mark say that when Jesus entered the temple, he drove out all who sold and bought. I'll tell you, one of the problems that I've heard about this text over and over and over again is this, um, there is right now in a lot of circles this, we shouldn't take advantage of one another. True, biblical idea. That's not Jesus' problem here. Jesus' problem here is, is not people taking advantage of other people. Actually, what Jesus is concerned about here are people who are not taking advantage. Let me strike all of that out. Who are failing to recognize what worship is all about. And so he drives out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I'm grateful for when I preached this, actually, um, in Mark's gospel a number of years ago, because I had misunderstood this statement for a very, very long time, den of robbers. Yeah, that's right. That's what, what happens at church when we begin to buy and sell things. That's why we shouldn't buy and sell things at the church. We become a den of robbers. That's kind of how I thought about it. That's why churches actually have real conversations about whether or not we should sell cassettes in the lobby. That would have been in the 1980s. And then in the 90s, do we sell CDs in the lobby? And, you know, and churches are always wrestling with this. Man, we don't want to become like a den of robbers. We don't want to be, think about this. The den of robbers. Jesus, by the way, here is quoting Jeremiah 7, a great text. You, you can read all of just Jeremiah 7. I challenge you, go back and read Jeremiah 7 and ask, wow, okay, that might be me. The den of robbers is not the place where robbers go to rob. Is it? They don't rob in their den. But what does the den of robbers signify? The place where robbers, where corrupt people feel what? Safe. We're back in our den. We made it. Look at what we got. We made it. We're safe. And literally, what, what Matthew is warning, what Jeremiah was warning of, was there being a mentality of, oh man, look, I'm safe. I'm safe here. My, my, my attitude and my behavior, none of that is changing, but I'm safe right here. And Jesus says, listen to this, that's what you're turning the temple into. A place where wicked people come to stay wicked and then pretend they're safe. Ouch. That hurt. Do you hear the accusation of Jesus? I, I, we, 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 I hear people talk like this all the time. Like somehow this building or this location changes something. I'm not saying this place isn't special. This place is a very special place for me. Um, a place where I love to come and think and reflect and give thanks to God for many things that he has done. Here is what this place is not, and may it never be. May this never be a place where you can come 
And without any kind of repentance and without any kind of of, of recognition or response to who you are in light of who God is, that this would become a safe place where you um, can just continue your robbing. You can continue your sinning. Every movie has one of these, well, not every movie, a lot of movies have one of these scenes, right? You got this bad guy, Magnificent Seven recently. You got this bad guy doing bad guy stuff, treating people terribly, killing innocent people. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, the guy that's going to come, the good guy, to take care of the bad guy, they usually end up in some kind of a scene, and especially if it's where, near a church, what happens? The bad guy goes up right, right near the altar, right near the pulpit, or right near the communion table, and he goes, well, you can't do it here. Right? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you saw that Magnificent Seven? You can't do it here. Like, I'm still going to be me. I'm not going to change anything about me. See, here's what I find most concerning is that one of the most reprehensible things in the Bible is to live your life your way. Unaffected. Unchanging by the word of God and by the convictions of the spirit, but then you add a religious ritual, come to church, pray, um, offer really crazy cliches on Facebook, whatever your religious expression looks like. And that is going to cover over any kind of, of real, and what I'm talking about is not living a perfect life, but genuine brokenness and repentance. I guarantee you, this room has way too many of us that somehow believe we can ignore the authority of God, cling to some kind of religious expression that's not repentance, it's not brokenness, it's not a contrite spirit that's described in Psalm 51. It's literally, I want to have my cake and eat it too. And, and the truth is, Jesus says, like, this is not what it's to be. If you think about it, I don't know how upset Jesus was. I think there's, that's part of it, that Jesus was upset with the buying and the selling in terms of somehow people are just walking in. If you think about it, when Jesus overturns the tables and stops the buying and selling, guess what stops ultimately? Sacrificing. No more sacrifices. Jesus says, I'm not, we're, not, we're, not having, we're having no more sacrifices so you will understand that this has nothing to do with what is going on there. This is what God says in the Old Testament. What goes on back in the, the recess of the temple area where they're sacrificing the bulls and the goats and the pigeons. None of that is going to happen. Why? Until your heart gets right up here as you're entering into the temple, what happens back there doesn't matter. See, that's the authority of Jesus. See, that's why it matters so much, not the number of people who are here or are giving at the end of the month, end of the year. No, none of those things matter if our hearts aren't in tune and responding and broken and being healed and restored and continuing to break, responding to the word of God and to the spirit of God alongside the people of God. 
One of the greatest lessons of 2017 may be, no more should Sunnybrook ever be treated like a den of robbers. And now we all know what that means. A very safe place for wicked people to believe falsely that God's okay with them. Jesus says, we're not doing this. Look at verse 14. Matthew's the only one that includes this verse. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So there is this this judgment and there is this help. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, much like we saw last week at the triumphal entry, Hosanna, Lord save, to the son of David. They were indignant. They were angry. They're mad. Who who, who gets to decide whether or not we can stop the the worship and the the sacrifice? Who who, who dares judge um, God? Who dares judge you, God? Who dares speak truth into your life, God? He said to them, or they said to him, actually, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you not read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethpage and he lodged there. So Jesus has made it very, very clear, unless you come to terms with God's plan, unless you come to terms with your brokenness, God's holiness, God's plan of forgiveness, God's plan of restoration, God's plan, no religious expression or game that you and I might play will ever satisfy the creator of the universe. Do you know that? It is a contrite heart. It is a repentant spirit. It is a responsive life that God blesses. And no amount of personal goodness gets any of us any closer to God without heart change, which only comes by the Spirit. To underline this idea, we see a very kind of interesting um, uh, action that Jesus does, and most people are confused by this because they don't understand the, the power and the symbolic nature of a fig tree. Figs are huge over there, by the way. I mean, one of the days we've gone over to Israel two times as a church, we're going back in 2018, which I'm so excited because now it's already next year. I'm so excited about that. So next year, when we go back to Israel, one of the days we actually go, remember the shrine? We go to this place where we can eat all these figs, all these dates, just absolutely delicious. So this place has these fig trees that grow up everywhere and they become a bit of a a national symbol. And so Matthew continues, in the morning as he, Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. Now there's a lot of debate as to whether or not he should have found figs or not. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I truly know exactly why he did this. But for whatever reason, it's actually it's hard in the middle of a sermon where I'm saying Jesus can do and say whatever he wants for me to find out the exact reason why he did it. I guess he does it because he has the authority to. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, they wondered at it. How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What's interesting is yet once again, this powerful statement of Jesus offering whatever you say, whatever you do, comes in the context of judgment. It's interesting, we, and, and uh, this is why I kind of like living today. Um, the biggest thing that I, I hear people talk about is, man, you don't want to judge and you don't want to be judgmental. Now, the judgmental piece I totally get. To be judgmental, to somehow believe that you get a different standard than everyone else, yeah, that's, that's pretty messed up. It's pretty broken. But again, one of the reasons why I like the political um, climate uh, that we have every four years is that I get to watch different people who spend a profound amount of time saying we shouldn't judge become the most judgmental people. I just love being um, scolded. and It really doesn't matter, right or left. I love being scolded by people who fail to recognize. Do you hear what you're saying? Do you recognize the inconsistency of your own thinking, of your own speech, of your own conduct? But that doesn't mean we just stop making judgments. I would argue it's impossible to make a judgment stop, to cease. The real question, especially as the people of God, is not do we never judge, but do we make right judgments? Do we make judgments that line up with the character and the teachings of God as found in Scripture? Do we line up with God in terms of the spirit of judgment, one of of grace and kindness, one of offering forgiveness and hope and restoration? That's the real question. If the church wants to be different, it doesn't become silent, it becomes godly. Still speaking the truth and offering hope at the same time. And so Jesus says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there am I with them. That is in the context of pronouncing judgment on someone who will not change and will not repent of their sin. Jesus says, I will be with you. And here, Jesus, when they are marveling at this judgment that Jesus made, Jesus said, ask these things. You will do greater things than these. And we just want to take that, remove it completely from its context. Jesus is offering a very harsh, should be an understatement critique of Israel's faithlessness. And just like the, the, the vineyard becomes a symbol or a picture of Israel's faithfulness when it's productive and as it begins to die and is not cared for, we'll see this in some upcoming parables, Jesus looks at this fig tree and just curses it because it has no fruit. In John's gospel, Jesus does a very similar thing when he describes this vine and says to the disciples, remain, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and I will remain in you. That which does not remain in me is cut off and is burned up. That which does not remain fruitful. And by the way, that fruitful doesn't mean successful. The fruitful means responsive to what the Holy Spirit is doing so that the fruit of the Spirit continue to grow and be recognized in your own life. That's so why I love to ask the question of faithfulness is not how many mission trips did I go on? It's not have I been involved in a life group? No, those are things that we do that put us in the context that we might respond better to what God is doing. 
I'm not against mission trips and life groups. I'm not against Bible studies. I'm not against service projects. I'm not against any of those things. But if we use them like a den of robbers, we stand in God's judgment. But if we use them as a context for which we can just respond to God's kindness, what incredible gifts they are. Jesus judged Israel because he had spoken to them the truth, they had been warned, and they refused to repent. Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, those who are not yet in Christ and are choosing to walk your own way and choose your own direction and fly in the face of the authority of God, both his kindness and his judgment, let me tell you, that where there is fruitlessness, where there is non-responsiveness to the Holy Spirit, and I love this, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, these things should be growing in us. This is the fruit that we see as we connect to Jesus Christ and respond to who he is. And they should be growing in us. If not... I'm not the one to make the final judgment in terms of your life, but let me tell you this. If you're not growing in these things, something is broken. Something is not connected. And the answer is never try harder. The answer is respond more to what the Holy Spirit has done in Christ. The truths about him. Jesus cleans a temple. Jesus curses a fig tree for its fruitlessness. And I love this last statement. And then Jesus ends up by just exposing the Pharisees for who they are. They're the religious leaders. They're the ones that consider themselves to be the most devoted, the most dedicated, and the most righteous on the block. Last paragraph. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? They've asked this, by the way, a number of times. The religious leaders have asked Jesus repeatedly, by what authority are you doing these things? And he told them. Time and time and time again, he's told them. He's given them proof. He's, he said, listen, if you don't think I can forgive sins, let me watch this, I'm gonna raise this man up. Want, want, want proof? I'll argue with you from the Mosaic law that I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, Jesus gave a number of things and no matter what they said, or no matter what Jesus said, they would not listen. I want you to hear me on this. This is one of the greatest concerns that I have for this fellowship. That no matter what, what God says, no matter what God's people say, no matter what the Holy Spirit says, your mind is already made up. By what authority and who gave you this authority? Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, that's gonna be his example. Where did it come from? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. They basically said, we can't win this. The crowd is going to hate us, or Jesus is going to be right. See, their mind's already made up. They're not asking, hey guys, what, let's just have a real conversation here. Where did that come from? 
Like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, I'm not thinking about it. We never did that, did we? We never went to John, did we? We never went to John collectively. We never, we never responded to that. Guys, did we miss something on that? No. They're political. Okay, what do we do? I don't care about what's right. I don't care what, I'm just, I, my mind is made up. I don't care what's right. I'm just trying to figure out what's expedient. And so they turned back to Jesus. Look at this. They answered him, do not know. Actually, I would argue they knew. They just didn't have the guts to say it. They're cowards, religious cowards. We do not know. And then he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Boom, drop the mic, walk off, right? Neither will I tell you. Why? I want to close with this. Have you ever thought about the fact that especially when Jesus has already spoken, that God has already said so much? You know, I've handed out so far four Bibles this year. I mean, the Word of God is very easy for you to find. You still don't read it. You still don't follow it. You still don't respond to it. And yet your constant complaint is, why won't God speak to me? Why won't he answer me? Are you already responding to this? Are you, I mean, are you already responding? To, like you got this down and you're going, okay, I got this down and now I want to know, I got some other questions that this really doesn't cover. Which, by the way, there are questions that this doesn't cover directly. I would argue it covers it, but maybe it doesn't cover it directly. Right? Maybe it doesn't answer the question as to the, the pain that you are going through right now or the silence. Maybe it doesn't answer it directly. I get it. But tell me that your understanding and your thinking is already coming from this. So one of the greatest lessons of 2017, whenever I look at this text, is how can we listen and learn from Jesus' words and Jesus' silence? Because both speak volumes. Jesus has already spoken about his authority. You just don't want to listen to it. I don't know what else to say. You don't want to listen to Jesus, how he's ordering your life. You don't want to tell, listen to Jesus about how you should forgive. You don't want to listen to Jesus about your sexual ethic. You don't want to listen to Jesus about your own identity. You don't want to listen to Jesus about the fact that I can't forgive myself, even though Jesus has forgiven me. I can't believe. Hey, if you don't want to listen to Jesus, I really don't know. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more comfortable. This, is, this might become a shock to many of you. I'm becoming more comfortable by just looking at people and going, I got nothing. Like, I, I got nothing else. I got nothing I can say to you. I just can't believe that God will forgive me. Okay, then don't believe it. I mean, really, ugh, hate to be you. I don't, I don't know what else to tell you. Well, but you don't know, then to get into this argument, no, 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 I, you, you made it clear. You will not believe. You made it clear. Like, I don't care. I won't listen. And I am growing increasingly comfortable with going, okay. Please know that on so many of our struggles, on so many of our questions, on, I would argue, every one of our doubts, Jesus has already spoken. 
And the real beauty of Jesus being able to say and do everything he wants is this, is that when you and I are going through certain situations, we can either go back to what Jesus has already said and find real peace, real instruction, real correction, real hope. We can just, I don't want to listen. I have people say that to me all the time. Hey, I'm about to tell you something, and I don't care what you say. Okay. That just makes my job really easy. Like, if you don't care what I say or what I'm going to do. I remember a little while back, Ryan Vincent was going to be preaching a sermon. He was describing the condescension of God, how, how God literally gets kind of down low to try to speak to us. And, and somebody else was just so offended that, no, there's no condescension. And I'm thinking, man, if you're uncomfortable with the condescension of God, I have no idea how you're ever going to be taught anything. It's just so hard for me to imagine anyone condescending to me. I don't think this person understood what that means. Jesus has the beautiful prerogative, the beautiful design, the authority to speak, and so he does. He offers judgment to those who are fruitless, and he offers peace to those who are responsive. He's already spoken about your sin problem and he says, my death on the cross has taken care of it. Do you want this? He's already given us a path of, of peace and of wholeness and he says, do you want this? And the amazing truth is, now you and I have, um, till we meet again, the rest of our week, to respond to this text. Let's pray. God, thank you for your words that have spoken and then the silence. And God, so often like a kid, we just want to argue. It is not teachable. Father, we put our fingers in our ears. We stomp our feet. We give more credibility and authority to our worries and concerns and circumstances because they're so right and real and true. And, and God, your words, your plan, your promise, your future just fade into the distance. I'm just so grateful that you will not give up on us. But may we never believe that that means that you will never make a final judgment. That even God, the day that the sky splits open and Jesus Christ comes back and we all are rewarded for the hope that we have in you or the hope that we have in some broken version and those things are judged and rewarded. Father, I pray that we would with great diligence hear of your love and prerogative today. Father, free us from fruit, fruitlessness. Free us from religious righteousness. Give us Jesus. It's in his name only we have hope. And all God's people said, I would say be careful as you leave, but the truth is, Roads seem fine. <laughs> hey, I hope that uh, you are glad that you came today. Are you glad you came today? 
Because God is good, amen? Listen, if we did not communicate with you in somehow, I'm gonna tell you right now, um, we would love to know how we could do that, so please reach out to us. Wednesday night, everything starts. I'll be in the room teaching from 2 Timothy chapter one. All our kids' programming is up. We're starting at about six o'clock-ish here in the room at seven o'clock. Uh, if you have any other questions, check out our website. We love you guys, and we will see you Wednesday night.